0: Amen. If you have your copy of God's word, and I hope and pray that you do, turn with me to Psalm number one. We're going to begin a eight an eight-week series through the Psalms. Obviously, we're not going to look at all 150 of them in eight weeks, but we're going to look at eight of them or parts of eight of them over the next eight weeks. And then the summer will be over. Can I get a hallelujah? Amen, right? Can you believe that? So, um, Beginning today and then the next seven weeks or so, we're going to journey through the Psalms. While you're turning there, um, just share this with you. We've recently, just this week, launched a, the Briarwood Podcast. Uh, you can access uh, each sermon uh, via our website, or you can subscribe through one of the a podcast hosts, Spotify, iTunes, whichever one you want to use, it's available there, and so for um, If you miss a week or if you want to just go back and listen to it again because you can't sleep at night and you need something to help with that, um, you can access it and I'd encourage you to do that, okay? Um, So Psalm 1, how many of you want to experience and enjoy the favor of God? I think we all do, right? If, if you've been in church for any length of time, any, any particular time, you, you want to enjoy the favor of God, the blessing of God. Uh, I think we all want that and desire that. It's quite inter- interesting. Psalm number one is anonymous, technically. We don't know who wrote it, but it gives us God's recipe for blessing, God's recipe for enjoying his favor in our life. Now it speaks to a lot of different things. It's it's a wonderful six verses of God's Word, but I want to just dive into it this morning and look at God's recipe for blessing. All right. But let's let's read through this Psalm together uh, before we dive into it. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, the passage will be on the screen there uh, behind me in front of you. And so let's read that together. So the Bible says to us, How happy is the one Who does not walk in the advice of the wicked, or stand in the pathway with sinners, or sit in the company of mockers. Instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. He is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season, and whose leaf does not wither, whatever he does prospers." The wicked are not like this. Instead, they are like the chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand up in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. Heavenly Father, thank you for the opportunity you've given us to study your word today. And I would ask and and humbly pray that you'd give each of us eyes to see and ears to hear. Grab hold of each of our hearts and minds today, Lord, that we might hear from you, that we might leave here having genuinely encountered the living God, the only God of the universe. And it's in the name of Jesus we pray, amen. So look with me at verse 1 there. If you're following along, taking notes there on the back of your bulletin, here's the first point I want you to see. There is a certain path we must avoid. If If we want to experience the favor of God, if we want to experience the blessing of God in our life, there is a certain path that we must avoid. Now, notice what the Scripture says, how happy. Now, some of our English translations, perhaps your copy, says blessed. In the the Hebrew, it literally means happy, happy, happy. It implies that you are enjoying the very favorable circumstances resulting from the kind acts of God. In other words, you are enjoying... The favor of God. And so the psalmist says, blessed is the one, or how happy is the one who does not, watch this, who does not, first of all, walk in the advice of the wicked. The word walk there is referring to a moral or spiritual lifestyle. It is referring to a lifestyle choice. So the psalmist says, blessed is the man, how happy is the man, the woman who does not walk, whose lifestyle does not follow in the advice, in the counsel of the wicked or the ungodly. I want to remind all of us this morning that as a child of God, you and I should find, should find our counsel and our advice and our direction from the Lord, never from the ungodly, never from the world around us, never from the culture that surrounds us, all right? The word wicked there or ungodly refers to that person who's morally in the wrong, who is opposed to the things of God. Now, we're going to see some different language here, and you're going to see it, the, the progression of this and the intensity of it as we walk through this. And so the psalmist says, blessed is the, is the person whose life does not align with the ways of this world. But then he goes a step further and he says, or, or stand in the pathway with sinners. The word stand there gives this connotation to be friends with. And who is the sinner? That's one who deliberately avoids the standards of God, one who deliberately avoids the ways of God. It's a little more intense than the word for ungodly or wicked in the first line there. It is someone who's more deliberate in their rejection of God and the things of God. But then he goes a step further and he says, or sits in the company of Of mockers. The word sit there implies to be intimately involved with, to be best buddies with. In other words, those who were closest to, and the word mocker refers to someone who's willfully and deliberately in open rebellion against God and the things of God. Those those individuals who literally mock God and curse God willfully and deliberately and openly and unashamedly. Now, let's read this verse one more time. How happy is the one who does not walk in the advice of the wicked, or stand in the pathway with sinners, or sit in the company of mockers. Notice the language the psalmist gives us here. Sin is progressive. In the first line there, there's an acquaintance with sin. In the second, there's more of a friendship with sin. Then we come to the third line. There's there's an intimacy with sin. Church, I want to remind you of something. If you and I don't deal with sin quickly, it will progressively get worse in our lives. We find ourselves in a situation where we're aware of sin, we're around sin, right? But then all of a sudden we're befriending sin, and then all of a sudden we're intimate with sin. Church, just be reminded the sooner we… It, it confess our sin. The sooner we acknowledge our sin, the sooner we repent of our sin. The better off we'll be. Don't don't allow sin in your life to linger. You've heard this before, uh, and it's worth repeating. If not dealt with quickly, sin will take you further than you want to go. Keep you than you keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you're willing to pay. That's a true statement. And many of us could give testimony today of our own personal lives where we saw that very thing play out. There was a sin that we were familiar with, a sin that we were around, a sin that all of a sudden we got involved with, and then a sin that we became intimate with, and what happens? A lot of hurt and a lot of pain and a lot of frustration and a lot of brokenness and loss and so forth. It's interesting, in this verse... The godly man is shown by the things he does not do, the places he does not go, the the books he does not read, the movies he does not watch, the songs he does not listen to, the company he does not keep. Church, the child of God will be blessed by God, will enjoy the favor of God by avoiding those things that are neither glorifying to him nor edifying to ourselves. The New Testament says it this way, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Listen, there are some things, listen to me, church, that as a Christian, we need to avoid. There are some places we don't need to go and some things we don't need to be a part of as a Christian. We need to avoid it. It doesn't need to be a part of our life. That's what Psalm 1 verse 1 shares with us. Look with me at verse 2, the second point I want you to see this morning. There's a certain pleasure we must seek. There's a certain pleasure we must seek. He says, instead, his delight is in the Lord's instruction, and he meditates on it day and night. That word instead is an interesting word in the original language because it refers to a deliberate decision. Listen to me, the godly man or the godly woman makes a, makes a very deliberate decision to follow the Lord. The godly man or the godly woman draws a line in the sand and says, I won't cross this line. No matter what, I'm not crossing that line. I'm drawing a line in the sand, and I'm standing here on this conviction. I'm standing here on this principle. The word delight there means to value, to rejoice in, to enjoy to find pleasure in. So notice what we read here. Instead, the godly man, the godly woman draws a line in the sand. We make a deliberate decision that our delight, our pleasure, our value, that which we enjoy is what? In the Lord's instruction, in the Word of God. Isn't that interesting? That this is where we find our pleasure. This is where we find our delight, in this truth. In this revelation from Almighty God, the godly man, the godly woman, the one who enjoys the favor of God, loves the Word of God. And notice what he goes on to say here, and he meditates on it. Now, why should we value, why should we delight in the Word of God? Well, one of my favorite verses of Scripture is is Psalm 19, and let me just read this to you. You, you. We've... We've read it before, and we'll read it, and we'll study it in a little more detail in a couple of few weeks. But just listen to verses 7 through 11. Just listen. The instruction of the Lord, the Word of God is perfect, renewing one's life. The testimony of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. The precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. The command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. They are more desirable than gold, than an abundance of pure gold, and sweeter than honey, dripping from a honeycomb. In addition, your servant is worn by them, and in keeping them, there is abundant reward. Notice what David says here. He says that God's word is is invaluable. There's nothing like it. Whenever my ministry ends and the Lord calls me home or whatever may happen in the next chapter, I pray it can be said of the people God gave me the pleasure of shepherding that, they, that you love the Word of God. I want you to love God's Word. I want you to spend time in it. I want you to learn it and memorize it. And notice what the psalmist goes on to say here. He says we need to meditate in it. He says, the godly man, the godly woman who enjoys the favor of God, meditates in it day and night. That word meditate means to ponder, to think on, to deliberately engage the mind with the truth of God's word. One way I like to illustrate it is this. It's it's like a a cow that chews the cud, right? If you're familiar with with animals that are ruminants, they, they have multiple stomachs. And what they do is they eat their food, and cows are one of them. They eat their food, and they swallow it, and then they regurgitate it to eat it some more. That's how they get the most out of, the most minerals and the most vitamins out of the food, whatever it is. Well, that's a word. that The word meditate is, is likened under the, unto that process where you and I, we take God's Word, and we're, 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 we're chewing on it. We're, we're, we keep chewing on it until we've get gotten everything out of it that we can get out of it. I, I want you to be a people that meditate in God's Word, that spend time in God's Word, that knows God's Word. There's nothing like it. There's, there's nothing more enjoyable in this world than delighting in the Word of God. Look with me at this verse of Scripture from Joshua chapter 1. Let me give you a little bit of the context, all right? So, God raised up this man named Moses, remember, to to lead his people to freedom from bondage in Egypt. And then God called Moses and he led the Hebrew people, several million people, through the wilderness for 40 years, all right? And now they've come to the banks of the Jordan River. They're on the eastern side of the Jordan River. They're getting ready to cross into the land of Canaan to take the promised land. But Moses is dead. God... Uh, because of sin, God would not allow Moses to enter into the promised land. And so he raises up Joshua to lead the people into the promised land. Now, I want you to think about this. Joshua, I want you to lead several million people into the promised land. And oh, by the way, there are several nations that occupy this territory that are mightier than you, that are more experienced in warfare from you, that have better technology than you do. But I want you to lead these people, my people, to conquer this land. And watch in verse 8 of Joshua chapter 1, the instructions God gives Joshua on what to do as a leader. You ready? Look with me. He says in Joshua 1 verse 8, there's a command first of all. He says, Joshua, do not let this book of the law, do not let the word of God depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. Here are the instructions, Joshua. Joshua. Don't worry about raising up a big army. Don't worry about training them in warfare and tactics and strategy. Don't worry about the economic policies and the domestic policies and the foreign policies. He says, Joshua, here's what I want you to do. I want you to meditate in my word day and night. Then he says, why? He answers the question, why? So that you may be careful to do everything written in it. I hope you know and understand the logic here. You and I can't faithfully obey and follow God if we don't know what God says for us to do. And the only way we know that is through his word. And then he gives us a conditional statement. Are you ready? Then, after you've done this, Joshua, then you will be prosperous and successful. And church, listen to me. The same promise still stands for you and me. If we want to enjoy the favor and the blessing of God, then you and I have to be a people who are meditating, who know and have studied the Word of God. Listen, not that we know facts and figures. That's not what it's about. It's that we might know God, that we might know Him personally and intimately. So, We see verses 1 and 2 there. Let's look beginning in verse 3. I want you to see the next point. There's a certain promise of blessing. There's a certain promise of blessing. Look with me at verse 3. This man, this woman, is like a tree planted beside flowing streams that bears its fruit in its season and whose leaf does not wither and whatever he does prospers. He's like a tree that is planted. That implies grounded by a deep and wide root system. That implies that this tree is not easily moved. Listen, when you and I delight in and we find value in and we rejoice in the word of God, we are like a tree whose whose roots are deep and wide. We, We will be able to stand in this culture that is greatly opposed to the Lord And the things of the Lord. Look with me at this verse from Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 13. Paul's writing in the church at Ephesus, who are experiencing some significant trials and persecutions. And then he says this Until we all reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. Now watch this. Then we will no longer be little children, tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching by human cunning with cleverness in the techniques of deceit. What is the result of you and I knowing the Word of God, spending time in the Word of God, meditating in the Word of God? We won't be tossed by every whim of the culture. We won't be influenced by those things going on around us that neither know God or agree with God. We'll be firm, planted, rooted, in truth. But not only that, here's what we also learn about this tree. This tree is a strong tree. It is a tree that's able to withstand the wind and the rain and the storms and the snow and the ice. In other words, it can overcome the, the challenges and the obstacles of life and faith. Remember what Jesus said to us in Matthew chapter 7. He gave us the parable of the two foundations. And let me just read these verses to you real quick. In Matthew 7, first of all, in verse 24, listen to what Jesus says. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, who hears the word of God and acts on them, will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Contrast that with verse 27. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Jesus says to us, if we would build our life on the Word of God, it'll stand. It'll withstand the winds and the rains and the snow and the ice and everything else that life throws at it. It won't be moved and it won't be torn down and it won't be removed from its foundation. It begs this question that we have to ask, what what is the foundation of my life built on? What is it built on? Is it built on the Word of God? Or is it some other foundation that, that can't withstand The challenges and the the obstacles of life. But he goes a step further and said, The ungodly is also productive. He says, who that bears its fruit in its season and whose leaf does not wither, and whatever he does prospers. This tree produces fruit, right? That's what healthy trees do. Healthy trees produce fruit. Whatever that fruit is, an apple. A pecan, a pear, an orange, a grapefruit, it doesn't matter. A healthy tree produces fruit. Likewise, a spiritually healthy Christian bears spiritual fruit for God's glory. It's the same principle. Look with me at John 15. You're familiar with this verse of Scripture. In John 15 and verse 5 and verse 8, look at verse 5 first. Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Isn't it interesting how he uses this uh, illustration of a tree? The one who remains in me, the one who abides in me, and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. And then in verse 8, he goes on to say this, my father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. So God wants us to produce spiritual fruit. Well, how do we produce spiritual fruit? We abide in Christ. We stay close to Christ. We spend time with Christ. And Christ works in us, Christ works through us that we might produce fruit that brings honor and glory to the Lord. So you and I have to um, remain in Christ. We have to abide in Christ. And that's exactly what the psalmist is saying. He's just using a little bit different language here. God wants us producing fruit for his honor and glory. Notice this. He says, whatever he does prospers. It refers to the idea of continual growth. Consider this. Even in the winter months, you and I can't see it, but even in the winter months, the roots of that tree are growing wider and deeper. There are no leaves on the limbs. There's no fruit being produced. But underneath the soil, those roots are growing deeper and wider in the earth. You see, a healthy tree never stops growing. In the same way, a healthy Christian should never stop growing and maturing in Christ. Each week, each month, each year, we should be more mature. We should be more like Christ than we were the previous week and the previous month and the previous year. And notice what the scripture says. The the individual who's committed to growing in Christ, who's committed to abiding in Christ, who's committed to to the Word of God, grows and prospers. Now, I want you to understand this. It's important that you, you, you understand that enjoying a prosperous life does not imply the absence of difficulty or failure or the guarantee of health, wealth, and happiness. Listen, a healthy tree has to endure storms. A healthy tree has to endure hurricanes and tornadoes and ice storms and, snow storms and it, but it but it withstands it. And so when we talk about this idea of prospering, it doesn't imply the absence of challenges and difficulty, but here's what it does. It guarantees that that our experiences will be God's best for our life and will bring him the most honor and the most glory. Whatever he does prospers. And so we see the certain promise of blessing. Look with me beginning in verse 4, I want you to see the certain promise of security. Notice what he says here. We have a contrast between the godly and the ungodly. He said, the wicked are not like this. So these truths are not, uh, are, are not true of the ungodly of the wicked. Instead, they are like the chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand up in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to ruin. The chaff is the waste that is collected during the grain harvest. Here's what would happen. The farmer would harvest his grain, and he would take it all up to the top of a small hill where the breeze was blowing as opposed to in the valley. And he would literally take that, that, that harvest, and he would throw it in the air. The kernels of grain would fall to the ground because they were too heavy to be blown by the wind, but the chaff would be carried away by the slight breeze, by the wind, That was there, because of this reason. Listen, the the chaff is intrinsically worthless, dead. It's without substance. It's, It's it's easily carried away. The chaff was good for nothing. Isn't it quite interesting that God uses this language to describe the ungodly and the wicked? And that's how we see it throughout Scripture. When God uses this language, he's referring to those who have rejected God and the things of God, who have rejected God's plan and offer of salvation and redemption. He says the chaff, those wicked and ungodly are like the chaff. They're they're not good for anything. There's no substance there. There's no value there. And notice what he says here. Therefore, the wicked will not stand up in the judgment. In other words, they won't pass they won't in, in survive the judgment of the Lord. In verse 6, he says, the way of the wicked leads to ruin or to perish. It refers to ultimate ruin or eternal condemnation. Look with me from John chapter 3. You're familiar with this passage of Scripture. For God loved the world in this way, that he gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish that's the same language in the greek that we see here in the hebrew of chapter of verse six will not perish but have eternal or everlasting life for god did not send his son into the world that he might condemn the world but that the world might be saved through him and anyone who believes in him is not condemned but anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he has not believed in the name of the one and only son of god well What about this condemnation? What do we need to know about it? Look with me at the next passage of Scripture from 2 Thessalonians 1. We read that this condemnation says, will take place at the revelation of the Lord Jesus from heaven with his powerful angels when he takes vengeance with flaming fire on those who don't know God and on those who don't obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Look at verse 9. They will pay the penalty of eternal destruction from the Lord's presence and from his glorious strength. The Bible is crystal clear that the ungodly, that those who reject God's offer of salvation, which is available exclusively through faith in Jesus Christ, will spend eternity separated from him, will endure eternal condemnation away from God's presence in a place, we just recently studied this, in a place the Bible calls hell. Hell. And just as a reminder for all of us, don't don't ever let this escape us. Hell is a real place where real people will spend a real eternity. That's the bad news. The good news, though, is hell wasn't created for us. Remember, we studied that just a couple of weeks ago. Hell was created for the devil and his demons. And and we don't have to spend eternity there. Look with me at verse 5. We can spend eternity in the assembly of of the righteous. Look at that. Therefore, the wicked will not stand up in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. What is the assembly of the righteous? That is the eternity in God's presence, where those who know him will spend all of eternity. And the Bible tells us that any individual, regardless male, female, rich, poor, red, yellow, black or round, yellow, all the different colors, it doesn't matter, if anyone places their faith in God's one and only son, Jesus Christ, we can spend eternity with him. Look with me at this verse of scripture from Revelation chapter 21. We have this picture, John gives us this picture of our final resting place, our final eternal home. And listen to what he says from in verses three through five. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more, because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, look, I am making everything new. And so we're promised all the way here in Psalm 1, we're promised an opportunity to spend eternity in the assembly of the righteous in the presence of Almighty God with all of the saints from all time who have followed after Christ. But then look with me at verse 6. because I want, I want you to see this final truth. For the psalmist says, "...the Lord watches over the way of the righteous." But the way of the wicked leads to ruin or leads to perishing. He watches over, he leads us, he guides us, he directs our lives. Now, let me take you back to Joshua. Just before Moses died and was buried, in Deuteronomy 31 and verse 6, God made this promise. He said to the Hebrew people, Do not be afraid or discouraged because of them, because of these people that you're Going that you'll encounter, for the Lord God goes with you; He will never leave you, nor forsake you. That's a good promise to hold on to—that He'll never leave nor forsake His people. So, how does He watch over the way of the righteous? There's two ways I want to just share with you, real quickly this morning. Number one, He keeps us from stumbling morally and spiritually. We see that in Jude. In verse 24, he keeps us from stumbling morally and spiritually. And then secondly, from John 17 and verse 15, he protects us from the evil one. He protects us from the evil one. Those are two of the many ways that he watches over the righteous. Church, I want to remind you of a truth that you and I often neglect. The devil works hard to cause us, to lead us down the wrong path, to cause us to stumble and fall. When my children were, well, they still are young and I still share this with them, but as they begin to, to, to get into their teenage years and they begin to drive and begin to hang out and do things uh, with their friends and, and so forth, in our house, we, 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 I had a saying that I, I used to share with them. Now, when my kids were little, we didn't allow them to say the word stupid, okay? That wasn't allowed in our house. But as they got older, I used to say to them, when they began to drive a car, I'd say, hey, listen to me. We're all one decision away from stupid. Don't be stupid tonight. And they knew what I was talking about. Think about this for just a minute. Every one of us in this room, we're one decision away from destroying our marriage and our family and our career and our legacy and our testimony. One decision. Think about that. We have an adversary who's doing everything he can to cause us to trip and stumble. But I thank God every day that he watches over the way of the righteous. Amen? That he surrounds us with a legion of angels to protect us from the attacks of our adversary. Psalm 1, God's recipe for blessing. Let's pray. Father God, Father God, I want to thank you for this day you've given us and the opportunity we've had again, Lord, to sing your praises and to study your word together. And Lord, I just ask and pray that you continue to work in us, move in us, grow us to be more like Christ. And Heavenly Father, if there's an individual in this room today who's never surrendered in faith to Christ, I ask and pray that right now you'd grab hold of their heart and their mind, you'd show them their sin, show them the need of the Savior. Bring them to Jesus today, Lord. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. I want to invite you to stand as uh, Lauren and the team lead.